The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Brutal Nation. The podcast series is dedicated to lesser-known serial killers and acts of true crime. I am your illustrious host, Scott Alexander. And right across from me is the one, the only, the ha- she has sharp teeth and she's highly venomous, Tammy Underwood. Say hi, mate. Hi, everybody. Sometimes I wonder about your sanity. I wonder about mine, too. And there's a reason for the Australian accent today, because I have one that's... So let me explain to our listeners how we kind of do things. There's a spreadsheet right. that, that Tammy created, and it assigns, um, well, assignments to, to Right, because I know I. what kind you like, and I know what kind I like, and I can't give you... Because we both like certain <laughs> ones on I love certain Fridays. days, and so it's like I try to divvy those up. You because know, if it was still, up to me, I would do all Fridays, and, nothing but sex crimes. I mean, this question isn't even nearly complete. Those are just ones I hurried up and put in. Right. So, I discovered one that's not even on the spreadsheet. Because they're technically serial killers. But it's also true crime. But they don't work together. You okay. have a confused look, and I love this. I kind of do. This is out of Australia. One okay, was well, that's the, that's it right there. It's down under, so it's backwards. That's right, <laughs> and I like it. When and they I go have down friends under. in Australia, and it's like I make fun of her all the time. <laughs> One worked out of Sydney, Australia. Okay. And the other on the other end of the country in Melbourne. I was going to ask if it was Melbourne. It's yeah. Melbourne. But okay. I featured them together because they operated at about the same time, and their level of violence. Okay. Was very similar. All right. Today, we're going to be featuring a man by the name of Dennis Allen and Stuart Regan. Do, 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 do. Oh, so you're doing a, like, a, like a family killer one. Sort of. You're except lumping that, them together. Except that these two don't even fucking know each other. Okay. And they're both gotcha. dead, so I can say whatever I want about them. They can't sue me. That's right. You can say whatever the fuck you want. Every country has an underworld. There are people who operate their criminal organizations and, of course, make a profit. This is a story from Australia about two people with pure evil in their hearts and a love of killing. While they didn't work together, they did work at the same time and on opposite ends of the country. I put them in one podcast because I watched a documentary on both of them, that were, and they were featured together. Okay. But the, it was not knowing each other, like I said. I decided to dig deeper as they were both so similar to each other. Right. That it caught my attention. Okay. Their reign of terror was during the 70s and the 80s. So okay. let's, let's talk about Stuart Regan. Stuart was a ruthless killer who is said to have uh, had a need for violence, an actual need. He would kill people with knives, swords, guns, and even his bare hands. Anything okay. was a weapon. It, that was his weapon of choice, was everything. He was also called the magician. We'll get into why in a minute. Okay. He was also a rapist, pimp, and a child killer who loved inflicting pain. He was born in the town of Young in East South Wales in 1945. Not, not much is known about his early childhood um, outside of his love of violence. 
There's stories, however, that say that as a child he'd hurt animals, including killing kittens, pitchforking a possum, and inflicting as much pain on animals as he could. His parents divorced when he was 10 years old, and his mother left uh, where he was born to relocate to Sydney. They moved to the Pennington area, which is an area that was full of poor families just trying to survive. In that area, young boys learned to fight young, and Regan was the toughest that there was. Okay. At 14 years old, he attacked a stranger on the street, and he was sent to a reform school called the Gosford Boys Home. There he was beaten, but instead of making him not want to be vicious, it fueled his need for violence. Okay. After he was released, he's about 17 years old, he went to King's Cross. During and this, this is the guy in Sydney, right? This is our Sydney guy. Okay. We're, we're, not, even, keep, we're yeah. not even talking about Alan yet. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll let you know when we're talking about him. Thank you. So during this time in King's Cross, it was a place that was full of gambling and hookers. There's a story of Regan hanging out with a friend, and they came across a person that Regan had had a problem with in the past. Regan was said to have beaten this man to the ground, and his friend lit a cigarette. Regan took that cigarette and put it out in this guy's eyes that he had just beaten up. Dude, ouch. It's a tough motherfucker. Yeah. To make a living, Regan first became a pimp, getting his girls from the slums and beating them if they refused to work for him. By the age of 17, he had a stable of women, paying him for what he called protection. He beat his girls if they didn't have as much money as they thought they should have, and of course, beat any guy who mishandled his girls. Okay, yeah. Sounds like Iceberg Slim. Sounds like me, man, when I'm out straight up pimping, yo. Dude, you're weird. <laughs> he earned the name The Magician because... When he had a problem with somebody, they tended to disappear. He would kill a friend as quick as an enemy. He, would also, he was also always paranoid. He would start to think that a person knew too much about what he was doing, and that person would vanish. Okay. In 1967, Regan already was known by the police for assault, theft, and rape. They already knew he was doing this shit. Oh, huh. It was then that he added murder to his list of crimes. Of course he did. There was another pimp who was also a business associate of uh, Regan named Barry Flock. So get the flock out of here. The you know, I just want to point out that unlike you, I am nice when you present. You don't have to be. Fuck, give me some jokes. I can't be the only <laughs> funny one here. It's hard being this hilarious. I'm just saying. So anyway, the police had arrested Flock for possession of stolen cars and other stolen goods. Regan p- paid for Flock's bail, which was set extremely high. But Flock never made his court date. He vanished, and it's thought that to be one of the first confirmed victims of Regan, a.k.a. the magician. Flock knew too much about what Regan was involved in with the stealing of cars. Uh, and the... Uh, or as the Aussie cops say, car rebirthing. That means that they would change the VIN numbers and such on the cars to sell them as a different car. Right, like a chop shop. Yeah, exactly. They finally found Flock's body with four bullets in his head. 
There were no witnesses to implicate Regan in the murder of Flock, so he was never charged with that murder. Okay. After the death of Flock, however, Regan went on a killing spree. He killed any of his associates who could implicate him in any way uh, on any of his criminal ventures. One of his first victims was a man named Ross Christie. He owned a dress shop for women where they also sold uh, stolen items. Okay. And next was Eric Williams, uh, who he took out so that he could secure his hold on his whorehouses in Sydney. So he was another pimp. And he wanted to secure okay. his hold on the brothels. Right, pretty much, yeah. They I say got it. brothels, I call them whorehouses. Let's just call a duck a duck. Let's just call a spade a spade. That's it, yeah. It's thought that he got away with as many as eight murders. While the police knew about Regan's criminal activities, they did not have any proof that they could use against him to put him away. Okay. Everyone could, who could testify against him wouldn't because everyone was too scared of him. You know, basically coming after him. Okay. So his downfall came when he killed a child by the name of Carlos Huey. He was a son of prosecutor Helen Huey, who was also Regan's girlfriend. And they both lived together as well. Okay. Regan claimed that he had gone out for a newspaper at about 4 o'clock in the morning and left little Carlos in the car. And when he returned, Carlos was gone. Okay. He then called the cops and he reported the child being missing. And what the police think happened was that Regan killed Carlos. Carlos was a toddler. He was about two years old. And the police speculate that he began crying, which set off Regan. And he was known for having a very short temper. Okay. Regan went as far as to start a media war against the cops, saying that he felt like they were going to uh, load a lot of false evidence on him and try to get him for a crime that he claims that he never committed. He also got the police department's brass involved by saying that cops were harassing him and pointing out the crooked cops in, right. in, in the police force, right. the ones that wouldn't come to work for him right. and be bribed. Exactly, the ones that weren't on his payroll. Exactly. Gotcha. And from what I understand, at the time, uh, criminals would attack each other, and that was okay. With that said, it was not okay with anyone to kill a kid or attack what they considered normal people. Right. You know, these are people normal, that go. What's abnormal? Well, they're thinking like the people who go to church, just kind of go to work. They're they're not in the criminal oh, organization. Gotcha. You, don't, you don't attack those so, people. So low risk individuals. Right. Like okay. you can attack you can attack another criminal, or oh, beat okay. or beat your horse. That's fine. Oh, okay. But you don't go and attack the normal Just like in Georgia, people. how you can beat your wife, right? On, on Sunday. courthouse steps on a Sunday, as long as you don't have a ice cream, cream in, in your, your pocket. Okay, that's right. That's right. Okay, I, I'm kind of trying to follow along, but this one's kind of hard to follow because there's like so many people involved. You know what I mean? There's a lot of deaths involved and a lot of yeah, names. Yeah, it's like... Yeah. The names have not been changed to protect the innocent, so Okay, fuck there them. you go. So he went as far as to offer, offer this huge reward to the public to find... Uh, Carlos, but everyone knew he killed Carlos. He was only, like I said, two years old at the time. They couldn't prove that he killed Carlos, however, because they never found the toddler's body. Okay. So, before I go on to this next part, I didn't write this in there. What he did do, though, was offer him up false leads. Like, he sent them to one house where they found bones under the floorboards. Okay. They weren't Carlos's. They were an adult. Right. But he would do things like that just to kind of taunt them. 
Okay, so kind of like um, Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, kind of <laughs> like our Beavis and Butthead killers. Yeah. Um, and from what I understand after watching this, this man was vicious. Uh, he wow. was short fuse. And what... what um, did you just find it under the name, or is it on a like a docu series? It was what? on a docu series out of Australia. Um, and do you remember what the docu series was I called? I think I mentioned it, and it, it's called uh, Suburban Gangsters. Okay. And I think I I, I I note that at the bottom of you this. You probably something. do, but I just want to put it on my thingy so I can like watch it later because I'm. I've watched a shit. Oh, it's it's docu- a series. really good series. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm kind of digging it. Plus, I like the Australian accent, yeah. especially Australian girls when they talk. Kind of gives me a chubby. I like an Australian man. Australian, Irish, and Scottish. Dude. Oh, man. What a Scottish chick talks. Oh, my God. I about die. The chicks are cream. Mm-hmm. So, with the killing of a kid and taunting the cops, there was already good reason to take out Stuart Regan. But it was when he killed a guy by the name of Ratty Jack Clark that he signed his own death warrant. Oh. Ratty Jack had accused Regan to his face of killing young Carlos, which nobody else would ever do. He's the only one to ever and do that. And young Carlos was this, two, this toddler. Was this toddler. Okay. Just so Ratty Jack that. comes up and says, look, I know you killed this fucking kid. Nobody right. else even had the balls to fucking do wow. that. After reading about this, dude, I'm a brave motherfucker. I wouldn't have done that. Because there's a fine line between bravery and stupidity. Right, exactly. Especially if you know he's killing everybody. Yeah, exactly. So, Ratty Jack, though, he was a good friend of the godfather of organized crime in Sydney at the time. A man by the name of Lenny McPherson. And when McPherson found out, well... Well, I found out about what we're going to done to Ratty Jack, that is. Uh, he called a friend of his by the name of uh, Paddles Anderson. Okay. So Paddles was old school, even for the time. He operated in the 1930s, but he still had a reputation as being a fixer. This is the guy that you're going to call. like Right, like he, a cleaner, kind of. Oh, more than that. This guy here, if you had a problem with anybody, he could go and he could negotiate terms. He was a good negotiator. He could smooth things out, you know, kind of get everybody to come to terms. But when, when push comes to shove, this is a guy who will fucking kill you right fucking now if that's what needs to be done. Okay. And he operated way back in the 30s. We're talking like he's got to be in his 70s, 80s at this point, right? Right. He's got to be pretty fucking old. Calls this man in. So that tells me that... that uh, this dude, Paddles Anderson, must have brass balls. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So, he was also one of the only people that Regan actually trusted. So, Paddles sets up a meeting with Regan, and Regan went to, goes to meet him, right? Now, normally, Regan is armed and travel with bodyguards, but for this meeting, he trusted Paddles enough to leave both of those things at home. Okay. It's speculated, but not proven, that there were three gunmen who shot and killed Regan on the city street. Lenny McPherson, being the crime boss, George Freeman, and Stan Smith. Regan was shot eight times, once once for each of his kills. Wow. And died in the streets. Well, you know, it's legal to kill criminals, so. Should be. (laughs) No, wasn't it legal back then? I mean, when this was happening? Probably not. Murder's murder, man. 
No, but you were saying how they were talking about. Oh, no, it was cool with like the, the other criminals. Oh, okay. But you just gotcha. don't ice kids, man. And everyone was happy when Stuart Regan was finally dead, man, because wow. that takes a lot of tension off of everybody. We're talking when, when crime signals, the, the criminal underground, because I can't speak today, actually breathes a sigh of relief. Even right. the people in prison were happy to hear that Regan's reign of terror was finally over. Oh, I bet. Now, you want to take a guess at his age when he died? He did a lot of shit. 85. 29 years old. Shit, no way. He accomplished all of that. I thought he was like older, older. Yeah. I mean, because you said how high up he was. I figured older meant like freaking Al Capone type. Yeah. 20, and I said 85 because, you know. At 29 years old, he died in the streets. And his mother <clears throat> took right with her, even after he was dead, and I believe she's passed on too, always said that she doesn't believe that he ever killed a child. I think he did before we go on to to uh, Dennis yeah. Allen, because think about how tough this dude is. No other criminal. And plus, it's taboo to fucking take someone else's kid and shit like that. Right. There's no reason to do it. Nobody's going to take and murder this child. Right. Especially from Stuart Regan. This is a motherfucker who will kill your family, kill you, kill your dog. Right. Nobody's going to take that big of a risk. Right, and even if it was a pedophile who was kidnapping, sexually assaulting, and murdering children, right. they would have known about this guy. Yeah, exactly. And he said he only went inside, left him alone for just a minute to get the paper, and then he disappeared. So you're talking a totally random act where somebody, somebody would have had to follow him, time it exactly perfect. No, he, he iced him. Right, um, but makes you wonder why. Probably like, it, like they speculate. He had a short fuse. Carlos being a toddler started to cry and he just lost his shit, killed the kid right there, then drove over to get the paper and made the call from there as kind of a subterfuge. Right, as an alibi. Yeah, as an alibi. Yeah. Wow. So, while Regan was building his empire in Sydney, Dennis Allen was hard at work in Melbourne. Dennis, okay. Dennis, Mel, Dennis Allen was also known as Mr. Death. <laughs> He was not as tough at Re as, as Regan, but where he lacked in toughness, he made up for in ruthlessness and cunning, as well as brutality. Dennis was a big-time heroin dealer who made millions through the drug trade. It's said that he had committed 13 murders, with most of them being in his own home. He would often kill people in front of witnesses because he just flat out didn't fucking give a shit. Right. One of those people uh, being a man by the name of Anton Kenny, who was a member of the Hells Angels. Ooh, shit. So balls, man. Balls. Ballsy move, but you're yeah, going to love... Yeah, nobody fucks with the Hells Angels. Oh, you're going to love the rest of this story. After Anton Kenny was shot and killed by Dennis... So Dennis has this gun underneath the table, right? And I can't forget... I can't remember who told him to kill this dude, shoots him at the table. Okay. Under the table. After that, he began to dismember him with a chainsaw. And after the chainsaw became clogged, he had his associates take at him with the meat cleavers to finish the job of dismembering him. Dude, dude. Dude, no. You shouldn't tell people that. So when your chainsaw gets clogged, use a cleaver. Right. Not Warren or June. Leave it to Beaver. 
You're bad. He then put his body in a 44-gallon drum and tossed it in the river. Dennis was born in 1941 to a 16-year-old girl named Kathy Pettingill. He was the oldest of 10 kids that she would have uh, as time went on. Kath went on to have another child soon after Dennis was born named Peter. And they all moved in with Kath's parents. And it was said that for a long time, Dennis thought that his grandparents were his parents and his mother was his sister. Oh, okay. It'd be about 15 years after they moved in with his grandparents that Dennis Allen would find out who he thought was his sister was actually his mother and his nieces and nephews were actually half-brothers and sisters. Okay. That's happened. Actually, that actually happens here, too. Quite a, a bit. Well, Even th- to this day. Well, this information, coupled with a lot of domestic violence, would set the stage for Dennis and Allen's love of killing and violence. His grandmother, who was known as a stern lady, would beat Dennis with a broom handle repeatedly. He also grew up in a rough public housing estate called Olympic Village. It was originally built as housing for the Olympics when it was in Melbourne in 1956. And it soon turned into a total ghetto. Dennis was also raised by a criminal family. From a young age, he was involved in armed robberies, petty thefts, and other crimes as well. And when he was 13 years old, he was sent to Toronto Boys Home for theft. Okay. And there was really no focus on the welfare of the boys while they were there. Only the punishment. So you can imagine there's got to be some beatings going on. Yeah. Mistreatment. Only punishment. Yeah. Almost like the Minnesota State Reform School, right? Exactly. Because I even wrote here, inside of the boys' home, he was schooled. In violence. Oh, yeah. And a lot of them were. I mean, even... I mean, I've heard horror stories to this day sometimes. So when he got out, he took his violence out on his grandfather, whose name was Harry Allen, when he returned home. Okay. He even put Harry in the hospital a few times. And according to what I had seen, he would actually go visit his grandfather and apologize and all kinds of stuff. But it would happen again and again. So Dennis first, went, does. Yep. <laughs> Dennis first went to work as a mechanic in his, uh, in his teens. Uh, and when the shop would close, he'd take the customer's cars out for a ride. And he soon attracted the attention of the local cops. And it's said that they had taken him out and beaten him on several occasions as well. Catch him in these cars. Okay. He was being taught a lesson in life. You need to harden up and strike first if you want to make it in this world. This, is, this, I'm sure, set the stage for what was to come in his criminal life. When Dennis was 22 years old, he was sentenced to nine years in prison for kidnapping and rape of a 19-year-old woman. Wow. While inside of Petridge Prison, it's hard for me to even say that together, Dennis made uh, connections with other criminals. And when he was released after serving five years in prison, he called on his uh, contacts and became a heroin dealer. As his business grew, so did his need for violence. His family helped him build his drug drug empire as well. I love mentioning that these are my personal notes coming up. And I say, ah, I love hearing about families that come together to help build a business. Sure, I'll run that over to your customer. Go pick up something? No problem. Kill this dude over here? Sure. Eh, 
Family togetherness. That's right. The family that kills together stays together. Ask the bloody benders. <laughs> that is true. They became known as the clan. They were a crime gang that was bound by blood. And Dennis also had become addicted to speed. All right. He would inject up to seven grams of the drug into his body a day. It's <sighs> a big fucking habit, man. That is a fucking huge habit, dude. I mean, because I'm an ex-meth head, and that's a huge Seven habit. Seven fucking grams, yeah. Yeah, that's fucking shit ton of shit. He was known to stay up for 10 or 11 days straight, and everyone knew to stay away from him when this happened because he became even more violent. To give an example of how violent Dennis was, here's a little story of one of his victims. <clears throat> Her name was Helga Van Egg. Okay. She was a hooker and a heroin junkie. Dennis had become convinced that, he, that she was ratting him out to the cops, so he called her up and had her come over to his house. He used the bait of letting her try a new supply of heroin that, she, that he had just gotten in. When he got there, he loaded the needle with what he thought would be a fatal dose. His plan was to give her an overdose, and she died. Makes sense, right? Right. Well, when that didn't work, he had one of his guys go down to the river and get a big bucket full of water. They dragged Helga into the bathroom while she was unconscious, then poured the water down her throat until she drowned. <gasps> it took several attempts to drown Helga as she kept spitting out the water, and, but she did eventually die, and her dead body was thrown into the river. Okay. Brutality. Yeah, that just... Yeah, no. I just don't... I don't understand it. Yeah, some people are just brutal, man. I know, right? As time went on, Dennis Allen accumulated more money and, larger, and a larger drug empire. And he began to buy up properties around his uh, house to house his family and his, and his workers, all in the same area. The other residents began to complain to the police about loud music as well as shooting, screaming, and such all throughout the day and night. The police began, then began surveillance. They set up an, uh, in the abandoned Rosella Soup Cannery that was nearby Dennis's home in the neighborhood that he was housing his friends, family, and co-workers, his oh. workers. While they're on the surveillance detail, Dennis was known to go into a rage over something that, he, that didn't even relate to the cops nearby. He'd go outside and shoot at the at soup cannery. And believe it or not, Dennis was actually a proponent of the police. He liked them. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he knew exactly where they were set up in the soup cannery. Right. The police actually went and asked Dennis Allen if he could not shoot at them as they were just there doing their job. And Dennis agreed to stop shooting at the cannery. <laughs> He's like, okay, okay, I won't shoot at you guys anymore. It was strange that Dennis Allen liked the cops until I dug a little deeper. He would inform the cops in order to keep himself out of jail on other people's criminal activities. Right. He basically used the police force of Melbourne as a tool. One good example was when he called a detective at around midnight and said, you better get over to my place because there's a big case full of money. Dennis had a guy handcuffed in his backyard with a case full of forged $20 bills. Wow. He then showed the cops where the forgeries were printed. And they found the plates, the machines that were reused to forge the money. 
He would also use different detective details against one another. While one team of detectives, detectives were trying to put him behind bars, another team of detectives would help him get out of jail on bail because he was giving them so much vital information on other criminals. We've okay. seen that before several oh, very times. Very much so, yeah. I mean, what's his name up in Canada? Yep. <laughs> well, his own mother, Kath, had said in an interview with Suburban Gangsters, a TV show in Australia, that she told one of her sons that she was going to have to kill Dennis in order to protect the family. Wow. This was before he had a stroke. She said that she had thought about it for a long time. Well, on January 19th of 1987, Dennis Allen had a stroke. Wow. Uh, He was left pretty frail, and he was really no longer a threat to anyone. He's (laughs) in a wheelchair. He's all fucked up. Dude, I can just see her putting a pillow over his face. Well, (laughs) those who were too afraid to come forward and testify against him were now confident enough to do so. The police uh, force that had helped him out and helped him get out of jail on bail so, so many times, they turned their backs on this psychopath. Yeah. Well, in the end, Dennis Allen was brought up on 30 counts of criminal activities ranging from possession of drugs to sell to murder. He died the same way that he lived. He overdosed on drugs and booze at the age of 35 years old. Wow. Created that empire, yep. And much like Stuart Regan, there was no love loss or sorrow for Dennis Allen's final, when when Dennis Allen finally died. In both cases, the criminals of the underworld as well as the police police rejoiced in the death as they were finally no longer a threat to anyone. My closing thoughts, and then we'll kind of discuss it a little bit. As I dove into this episode, I found myself intrigued by how the cops handled these two guys. It makes me wonder if it was a fear or necessity to keep them around and help them out. When does the end no longer justify the means, in other words? Today, however, it's a different set of circumstances. I'm sure that the police force in Australia no longer tolerates such behavior from its officers. A crime is a crime, and I'm sure that no one is going to want to be seen with a person like these two monsters. Exactly. I just, I don't know. So, let's start with the first one, good old Stuart. Nature or nurture? I'm thinking. Okay, hang on. Go back. Was there a lot of information on his childhood? No. Except for the cruelty to animals and the fact that his parents divorced when he was Okay, now, I will tell you this. I've been doing some research. And it's called the Homicidal Triad or the McDonald Triad, which identifies that chronic bedwetting, animal cruelty, and pyromania are the three key signs of psychopath. Correct. However, those have been disputed lately because those could also be three indicators of severe childhood abuse. 
No, I agree. Yeah, that's so. Those start getting and dead. just because those people are doing that and they've been abused doesn't mean they're going to kill people. Exactly, and those so. actually started getting disputed in the early two thousands. Right, exactly. It's been in conversation through right. psychology since the like two thousand one or two thousand. Yeah, like that. exactly. Um, so my whole thing is. He could have actually been abused, and that's why he was treating animals cruelty, because that's the only way he could, you know, because if somebody's being mean to you, you're going to be mean to somebody else. You're going to pass it down. True, true. It's so, so, something that you feel is lower than you are. Exactly. So, we can take it into consideration that, A, he was born a psychopath, or we can take it into consideration that he was acting out the abuse he was receiving. And if he was acting out the abuse he was receiving, it's nurture. I'm going to go with more of nature. Okay. And, and, and here's why. It's because of his mom being so, um, kind of being his proponent, being his, his cheering squad going, I know my son didn't kill right, a child. Right, exactly. Like enabler. Right. Right. Because, you know, here's, here's a guy who's obviously just a fucking whack job. Not just a whack job. Dude, he, yeah. he, he was would, feared. Right now, if he was standing in this room, he would probably kill you right now because maybe you looked at him incorrectly. Right. Or we're talking about him. <laughs> or, you know, especially if we're talking about him, we'd all die. That would be it. Um, and then kill the neighbors just in case they saw anything. Right. And here's his mom kind of saying, I know he did bad things, but, you know, my baby boy would never kill a baby. Yeah, he would. He would. Right. I'm sorry. He, he killed that kid. I don't care if they found the body or not. So I, it, there is that possibility of abuse. Right. But it doesn't say anything like even when he they moved to Sydney of there being guys in and out. Right. Like she's dating a whole lot of guys um, or anything like that. There's, you know, and usually when we're doing research, there's at least something like that. Right. When it comes to abusive behavior and your mom isn't exactly going to be kind of your cheering section going on. Right. So I'm leaning more towards nature. This is just how he was fucking born. And I think to have that like superiority complex. Right. Right. And I'm getting it. I'm thinking maybe that it was exacerbated by them moving to that area of Sydney where it's a tough neighborhood, man. You learn how to fight in a fucking hurry. Right. That's true. And your two choices are fight or have the shit beat out of you. So he's, he's getting educated at an early age. And it really fits in with his nature because he's, he's abusing animals prior to that. This is true. And now you're kind of getting trained on how to take on the world and get what you want. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that. That was my I thought. Will, I will, you know, I will concede to your point. Right. This time. Let's talk about Mr. Dennis Allen. Nature okay. or nurture. No, he's the one. Okay. I'm he's Melbourne. You. Huh? Yeah, he's the Melbourne guy, but it's like you gave me so much information on both of them that now was there a lot of information on his childhood? Recap. Okay, so his childhood, Mm -hmm. he was the one that thought that his mom was his sister, and fifteen years later finds out. So he had that fucked up child. I mean, it was like that messed up family. There's very much abuse going on. There's domestic violence, and there's so he finds out later, and, and he's in a crime family. Right, that's true too. And then it's like he finds out later in life that. Who he thought was his sister was really his mother. 15 years after they moved in, yep. Right. So, I mean, so that is a little, like, psych... I mean, it, it can mess with your psyche. 
You know, because it's like your whole world is different. It's like that just totally fucks up your life. Right. Um. So him wouldn't say nurture. I agree. Total nurture. I think from the moment that he was born. Yeah, because it's like crime family, messed up. I mean, like total messed up where, you know, he thinks his sister has, you know, finds out later that his sister's his mother. And so that type messes with your head. Right. And you're already involved from a young age in petty theft and other crimes. Exactly. You actually go to juvenile hall. How you were raised. You were taught that that's okay. Right. You go to a boy's home at what, 13, 14, 13. And you're abused. And you're also abused because they're, right. they're focusing on the punishment. Exactly. Then you wind up in prison for rape. Yeah. And uh, now you're making contacts. Yeah. And now you're a fucking heroin dealer. Yeah. People got to pay, man. Yeah, and he's a drug addict, too. So. And he's a drug addict, so yeah. you, you have to make the money to take the drugs. Oh, you do. Because, uh, you know, a dope man don't get high on his own supply. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I am not a drug dealer, though. I just know a no, lot of drug that's dealers. A, it's an NWA song, rap song. Gotcha. <laughs> I hear you, homie, while Shut I'm up. rolling in I my 5.0. Oh. Geez, should we listen to some Tupac? I love that look of death. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, he, he was basically being trained for this from the time he was born, man. Right. You know, and according wow. to uh, Suburban Gangsters, every kid that Kath had was involved in criminal activities. Right. All ten of them. Ten fucking kids. Damn, Kath, maybe you shouldn't have sex. Fuck. No shit, yo. They make this thing called birth control. Should have looked at that shit. <laughs> fucking kids. Right? I just, I don't know. So that's all I have for this episode. You got anything you want to add? No, I think, I think that's all. All righty. So remember that you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium. Search at Brutal Nation, and there's our blog right there. Also, check us out on Crime Beat on Medium. Once again, just search Brutal Nation. Uh, we're also, uh, we have blogs that are on uh, vocal, vocal media. Yep. And hub pages as well. Yep. Same search, like for Brutal Nation. Ta-da! Ta-da! There we are. This episode is copyrighted 2021 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved. And we look forward to hearing from you guys. Bye-bye. Bye.